0: The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Keep, O Lord, your household, the church, in continual godliness, that through your protection it may be free from all adversities and devoutly serve you in good works to the glory of your name. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.
1: A reading from the Psalms. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. But he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. That I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The word of the Lord.
2: A reading from First Peter chapter two, verses four through ten. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices. Acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The word of the Lord. Thanks be God.
3: This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it, and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants, and went into another country. And when the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took the servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. And again he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. And finally he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him, and they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these tenants? He said to them, him, He will put those wretches into a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants, who will give him the fruits of their season. And Jesus said to them, Have you never heard in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the stone, cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes, the gospel of the Lord.
1: Praise to the Lord Christ.
0: Be seated, everybody. Good morning. I was talking to our brother Phil Bickle after the first service, and um, he said something to me that kind of, you know, that was great. He was just talking, and that made me think about how this First Peter passage that I'm going to talk about this morning. I could just like take an old school tape recorder and just play that passage 20 times and you could listen to it and talk about how the amazing and rich imagery that Peter brings to this, this, this short little seven verses, but instead you have to listen to me. So, so I want to start by asking you a question, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? There's actually a TV show named that, have any of you seen it? Anybody? Yeah. So the basic premise of the TV show is that there's a host that talks to a celebrity or a well-known public figure about their lineage. It can be really fun to see what people think of, their, of what they find out about who their ancestors were, where they're from. What that, but that phrase, who do you think you are, just kept coming into my head while I was studying this passage from 1 Peter. Because to me, the awesome word pictures it gives us are all Peter under God's inspiration, the Holy Spirit's inspiration, telling us who we are. So let's pray. Almighty Father, who inspired Simon Peter, first among the apostles, to confess Jesus as Messiah and Son of the living God, keep your church steadfast upon the rock of this faith that in unity and peace we may proclaim the one truth and follow the one Lord, our Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. I don't know how many of you have these, but as a kid growing up in Southern California where freeways were everywhere and driving was a huge part of life, I have so many great memories of music in the car. One time as a boy I was in the car with my dad and there was a song playing on the radio that was really long. And we were listening to a 50s and 60s station so since most of the songs were like two or three minutes this one really really stuck out to me. I asked my dad about the song and what it meant because the lyrics were just puzzling and meandering and he told me it was a very long and complicated song, and then you followed that up by saying something that pretty much all of us as parents have said at one time or another. I'll tell you later. Here's the lyrics of the song's chorus. You've probably heard it. Bye-bye, Miss American Pie. Drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. Then good old boys were drinking whiskey and rye, singing, this will be the day that I die. This will be the day that I die. I've since learned that this song, American Pie, by Don McLean, is a symbolic word picture of the history of rock music. And I thought of that song when I was looking at 1 Peter 2, uh, 4 through 10. True, McLean's song is about rock music, and Peter talks a lot about rocks in this passage. (laughs) But more than that, it is the depth and complexity of language that they have in common. Every phrase is jam-packed with meaningful imagery, my boys, uh, Jack and Wes, have taught me a lot about how to deal with Rubik's Cubes, right? The phrase, this passage is a Rubik's Cube, many facets constantly being ter- turned and reworked. The metaphors Peters uses keep building on themselves, and then their meaning is turned again and again, and you think you have one side kind of figured out, but then, oh, there's a cube out of place. And I want to thank Father Pete for asking me to preach on this passage because he knew I would love all the rich Old Testament references. But let's start our reflection with rocks. It's probably not a stretch to say, I would think, that Peter had a thing about rocks. God was a rock in the Psalms. Rocks were symbols that reminded God's people of his work. Moses hit a rock and out came water. Rocks loomed large in the Hebrew imagination. Fast forward, though. Peter's rabbi, Jesus, used rocks in his teaching. The wise man built his house on the and and not sand. Peter heard Jesus proclaim once that if no one would confess him, that the rocks would cry out. And toward the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, as we heard in the, uh, the gospel reading today, Jesus quotes the passage from Psalm 118 that we also heard read. That describes himself. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So imagine that you're Peter. One day, Jesus looks at you and your 11 friends and says, Who do you say that I am? And you know, you know the answer. You say, You're the Messiah. And then Jesus, thrilled with your answer, says, Blessed are you. In fact, you are a rock. If I had been Peter, this rock concept would have probably become an obsession. He uses it in his own preaching in Acts 4.11. He tells the religious leaders that the stone they rejected has become the cornerstone, just like his teacher had said. And by the time we reach this beloved epistle, he again echoes this teaching. But he goes beyond that and builds an even more important and encouraging word for the church. He looks around at this fledgling group of people in a dark time approaching persecution, and he says, you are all rocks. Come to the living stone, all you little stones. You little rocks are a royal priesthood, precious to God. Where has Peter come in these years? He he could have bragged about being the rock. It's his name. Jesus gave it to him. Instead, he looks around and uses this imagery to encourage the church. St. Peter is building his house, his teaching, with these magnificent stones from the Hebrew Scriptures. But it's clear who the biggest and more most important stone is Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. So I want to anchor this teaching this morning with four main terms that Peter uses cornerstone, living stones, royal priesthood, and chosen race. So I want to start with the concept of the cornerstone, even though it doesn't, the passage doesn't start there, because it is foundational to the passage, no pun intended. I find it interesting that Peter keeps working and reworking the fact that the people he is writing to are a holy people, a spiritual house. In the middle of this speech on the church's identity is the concept that Jesus is the cornerstone. And to make this point, Peter directly quotes two passages from the Hebrew Scriptures. In verse 6, he quotes Isaiah. To those who do believe in him, Jesus is a cornerstone. But then in verse 7, he quotes Psalm 118, To those who don't believe, he is still the cornerstone. The word here, cornerstone, has the idea of being that foundation in the Isaiah passage and in others. If you were to look at an ancient altar, many of you have probably seen an artistic rendering of an ancient altar. They have these four corners that are sort of shooting out. That same word for that corner is what's being used in these Hebrew passages, but in Psalm one eighteen twenty two, the passage Peter quotes in verse seven, the Hebrew word rosh is put before it, and I say the word rosh because you've all heard it. Anytime you've heard of the the word for the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah, that's what that is. It's head of the year. So this Roche here of Roche Corner, it's like, this is the biggest stone. This is the most important stone. And so when I think of cornerstone in our world today, I think about concrete. It's like that. In fact, a simple Google search will show you that a lot of concrete companies have named themselves the cornerstone concrete. (laughs) And that's important because our identity is tied to the foundational role that Jesus plays. He goes before us. Whether whether Peter is talking about us as rocks, stones, priests, citizens of a new race, Jesus is the one who goes before us. And it's fascinating to see that with all the rock talk, Peter is never self-referential. Take it from me, the guy Jesus, called rock. No, Peter always makes it about Jesus. He's the first one. He's the chief rock. Let's follow him. So with the cornerstone in mind, let's go back to verse 4, back to the beginning of the passage. The first picture Peter gives is the living stone picture. And why are we living? We can go back to the passage that Pete talked about last week. We have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We are living stones because Jesus rose. We come to the great living stone Jesus, but we are also like him, living stones, and we are being built into a house. This begins by saying that Jesus is the living stone but was rejected, and the anchoring of this language is unmistakably kind of about the temple in Jerusalem, but we are now called living stones, called to construct a different kind of temple, a different kind of house, Whereas the old temple was built of stones, just like other buildings, this new house is built of people. One commentator I read says, The house of God is no longer a physical building, but a living house where God lives. It is therefore impregnable. And this was a certain comfort to an oppressed people group. The church at this time. But then Peter turns the metaphor again and says that we are not only the stones that make up the house, but we are priests inside the house too, the living stones are to be a, be a house and a priest in the house. And they're to offer spiritual sacrifices to God rather than the physical sacrifices that were focused upon in the physical temple. And this would have been really important to the early Christians to understand. Some of the Jewish Christians still went to temple to worship, and you can see that in the book of Acts. And the New Covenant community did not have the same commands regarding location. And it would become even more important very shortly because probably within 10 years or so of this letter, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. Even today as we take the Eucharist, we see it as a sacrifice of praise wherein God feeds us rather than an atoning sacrifice. Christ has given us his life through his sacrifice once for all. And we as living stones are being built into a house of worship. But as a practical aside, before I go on to the last two pictures, there is one important thing to note. Both as a living stone and a cornerstone, Jesus was rejected. And as Peter has already talked about trials that we face as disciples of Jesus, it is important to remember that we do follow a Savior who was rejected. But the language goes on and continues to say what we also are. Sure, we are stones built on the big stone. But as I mentioned earlier, we are also priests that serve inside the spiritual house. And royal priests, that interesting term of regalness to our priesthood. There's a thread that runs through the scripture of God calling a people out to himself. Exodus 19, 5-6 seems to be what Peter is drawing on here. I'll read it. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant... You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And in some ways, this Old Testament passage is puzzling because of the way things play out. The Levites end up being the priests, and in some ways, that's confusing. But we see here that there's an intention that God has to always have called Himself to himself a group of royal priests. It is only when the people are too scared to go to God at the mountain that, that God devises sort of a, an intercessory role for the Levites. The Levites end up represent, representing the people. But as the prophets testify, God always wanted the people's hearts and their worship, not just priestly physical sacrifices, as important as those were. So as the stones have been built into a house, we are now to offer spiritual sacrifices to God. Romans 12.1 I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. But what makes this passage so grand is that we follow Jesus, our cornerstone, as priests. He was a priest. Hebrews reminds us, since we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He has gone before. There are so many practical implications of this priesthood, but I want to mention two Because they're what came to mind and what I seem to have on my heart. First, prayer. How do we follow our big brother, Jesus, the great high priest, as priests? We pray. In the Old Testament, the high priest would wear what was called an ephod on his chest. The ephod had 12 colorful stones on it, and that represented the 12 tribes. When the priest went to offer the sacrifice, he had his people over his heart, symbolically. In a sermon I listened to on this passage, Tim Keller said that in the same way, we as priests have, our, have his people over our heart, too. We can intercede for people. And in so doing, we offer priestly sacrifices to God. I am challenged by the call upon me, To intercede for God's people as his priest. Second, vocation. I think we get it wrong if we only see things that we think of as spiritual, as spiritual sacrifice. The work that you do every day, God is using that. Have you ever thought of your cubicle as a holy of holies? Perhaps you should. God does not call us all to vocational ministry, does he? If he has called you to your vocation, given you talents, given you the situation, everything else, is that not an opportunity to offer spiritual sacrifice to God? In order to make this point, back to the living stones picture just for a moment, John Calvin wrote as it is true that each one is a temple into god, into which god dwells by his spirit so all ought to be fitted together that, may, that they may form one universal temple this is the case when everyone content with his own measure keeps themselves within the limits of their duty all have something to do with regards to others we're all fitting together jesus goes before us and not only gives us an example But shows the way toward our work being spiritual. We're not all in the ministry. How can we all be priests if only those in the ministry are priests? By remembering that our work done to please God is a living and spiritual sacrifice to Him. So the last picture is chosen race. It's very human for us to think about ourselves based on what tribe we belong to. We ask questions like, where are you from? or What's your background? The the reference I made to the show, Who Do You Think You Are, reminds us that all of us have a physical, ethnic, and racial heritage. And I use the words ethnic and race on purpose, because Peter uses them. The word race here is a Greek word where we get our word genealogy from, and the word nation is the Greek word where we get our word ethnic from. So, God, through Peter, is drawing attention to our natural tendencies toward our ethnic and racial heritage. But this new nation will be different. It won't be merely made up of genes or skin tones, though those things do not disappear, to be sure. So, what is this nation like? Well, we've seen that it's like a house, we've seen that it's a whole bunch of priests offering spiritual sacrifices to God. But what is our heritage? As this nation, what's our common lineage? Peter tells us. It's that we are chosen. Tim Keller, again, makes the interesting point that we are chosen people, not choice people. We were not so attractive to God that he just had to pick us out. We have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. And what an image that is. And one can hear Peter's enthusiasm with the generosity of his language. And there is to me and to commentators I read even a little hint of a picture of the exodus here. A people called out of slavery, out of darkness, into a glorious future. And closing out his thought in verse 10, Peter goes to the scriptures again. Here he quotes the prophet Hosea. Once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The people of Israel were chosen, but they were still an ethnic group. And people of all nations could always join them. That was always part of the promise, but it would necessitate joining the people of Israel. Keeping kosher eating, keeping the covenant sign of circumcision... Here, Peter is reminding the church that what marks them is God's choosing them in his grace and mercy. God always made clear that he didn't choose Israel because of how great they were. But from the very beginning with Abraham, God always wanted to build a nation. And the good news here is that all peoples who receive mercy can be, as Paul says in Romans 11, grafted into the chosen race, the Holy Spirit nation what a promise sometimes i think we think the difficulties we we face in our time are just simply unprecedented peter wrote to a church on the verge of one of the most brutal ghastly persecutions it has ever faced the reign of caesar nero In moments of trial, let us ask ourselves, who is defining us? Make no mistake, we need God. We need his help. And one of the great cries of the Reformation was, Semper Referendum, always reforming. But remember what he, God, through his word, calls us. Chosen, royal, living, These are God's words, not mine. Who will define us? So do me a favor. If I ever end up asking you, who do you think you are? Have a ready answer. I'm a living stone. I'm a royal priest. I'm a member of a chosen holy people. Let's pray. Almighty God, we pray for your holy Catholic Church. Fill it with all truth, with all peace. Where it is corrupt, purify it. Where it is in error, direct it. Where in anything is amiss, reform it. Where it is right, strengthen it. Where it is in want, provide for it. Where it is divided, reunited. For the sake of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. Amen.